1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on ninety three point nine KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good
2: afternoon, and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Good to be back in studio. Was a bit under the weather last week, but glad to be uh, to be back and behind the mic today. I'm going to reprise a conversation I had with Jason Thompson. He's the executive director of Portland Fellowship, talking about the work they do and uh, how they might be of uh, Uh, Help to you and your family and the body of Christ, how we can come alongside and help this um, ministry minister to folks in our community. He's coming up in the five o'clock hour of today's program. Well, it's came as something of a surprise to me that snow levels are apparently going to hold around sea level starting Thursday, bringing the chance of a dusting of snow in lower elevations of the Willamette Valley, including the city of Portland. Well, people in the downtown area and other lower elevations of the Willamette Valley could see a dusting of snow on the ground later this week. A cold weather system is moving through the Pacific Northwest, making for a chilly final week of November. High temperatures in Portland are set to uh, average five to eight degrees below normal. As of Monday morning, there are reports of snow and uh, slushy road conditions around a thousand feet just outside the town of Sandy. That's according to KGW on the Oregon coast. There are reports of icy spots on the highways. Well, snow levels will hold above 1000 feet today, and they're going to rise to about 2000 feet and higher on Tuesday as the next round of precipitation arrives with a warm front. But on Wednesday, the Willamette Valley is going to see some heavy rain at times while the mountains are expected to see one to two feet of snow. That's feet, not inches above 2,000 feet. Well, the coldest air is going to arrive Wednesday afternoon and into Thursday. That means snow levels will potentially lower to sea level by Thursday morning. Uh, that brings the potential for a dusting of snow in the lower elevations of the Willamette Valley, including around downtown Portland, Preci- uh, precipitation rather will be the, uh, uh, will be showery through the period. So the best chance of seeing a snow burst um, uh, heavy enough for a dusting of snow on the Valley floor is um It's tough to call. That's what meteorologists are saying. The best chance of snow on the ground will be overnight and early mornings, followed by uh, warmer daytime temperatures to 40 degrees and higher. So if there is a light dusting of snow, it will be temporary and uh, the temperatures will warm shortly after. Snow levels will remain at sea level on Friday and the valley does see uh, if it does see a dusting of snow. High temperatures are expected again to reach at least 40 degrees So any dusting of snow on the ground would melt during the day, but it might be kind of fun to see it uh, on the ground in the interim. Well, taking a look at some of the day's headlines in another case of mandatory wokeness, a new report reveals that CRT-related ideas have infiltrated U.S. medical schools. So a doctor or nurse might be um, granted access for training, not based on their skill and ability, but other issues. A sense of fear lingers as Idaho police are grappling with an influx of 911 calls as the investigation into the bloody quadruple homicide continues there students did return to classroom at the university today. In the hot seat the disregard uh, the disgraced rather FTX founder is uh, in focus as Congress drills down on that scandal trying to determine what happened and who and uh, to what degree individuals will be held responsible and demonstrably dangerous a detransitioner is sounding the alarm over gender affirmation. In fact there's a lawsuit that's been filed against those who performed gender-altering surgeries at a very young age, suggesting it was malpractice. We'll continue to follow that story. Conversation necessary. Democrat Senator Murphy is questioning whether law enforcement should be funded in states that refuse to enforce gun laws. And the Supreme Court of the United States uh, recusal bid has been offered. The Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett is facing calls to recuse herself from an LGBTQ case I will follow that story as well. Saying everybody failed the voters, the Democrat strategist says Democrats have nothing to celebrate after the midterms. It appears neither party does. And the ongoing blame game, the New York Times argued, the Republican Party enables political violence while downplaying left-wing attacks. It's a nationwide problem, and it straddles both sides of the aisle. The White House's former disinformations are Nina Jankowitz Registers as a foreign agent, and questions are being raised about her fitness for that position. Twitter fears, says an NBC host, I should say MSNBC host, frets his worst fears have been realized since Elon Musk acquired Twitter. Can you imagine a world in which that's your worst fear? That Elon Musk would take over Twitter with all that's going on in the world? Well, there is hope, Johnny Cash's sister says. The man in black gave his heart back to God before his death. And soaring high, NFL star accomplishes a feat no quarterback has done in 30 years. While the soon-to-be Republican-controlled Congress looks to rein in reckless spending by the administration, the Biden administration has spent and printed a reckless amount of money since entering office in January of 2020. Nearly $4 trillion has been spent in just the 18 months President Biden has been in the White House, fueling the reason why inflation remains at a 40-year high and the economy is quickly headed down a black hole. They argue something's got to be done. Newsmax reports that I like to remind people the power of the purse strings resides in the House. Uh, Gonzalez told Newsmax on Friday evening, the way Gonzalez sees it, the House Republicans, old and new, need to take decisive action in Congress right off the bat, enforcing a cap on the Democrats' exorbitant spending. We'll see what actually happens. President Biden looks to ban so-called assault rifles. The president and his um Constituents are threatening to take America's Second Amendment away by attempting to pass a bill that would ban assault rifles during the lame duck session before the next Congress forms. On Thanksgiving, the president reiterated his support for stricter gun laws, saying that it is ridiculous that red flag laws were not being enforced throughout the country. On Town Hall, a reporter, Gabriella Hoffman, says um, the Biden doesn't support gun confiscation. You're paranoid and opposed to sensible gun reforms and safety. Him, assault weapons are semi-automatic and therefore should be banned because its sick people lawfully purchased the gun. The well, President Biden has eased sanctions on Venezuela, allowing Chevron to pump oil from Venezuelan fields. But, of course, not here at home. The Wall Street Journal reports the U.S. said it would allow Chevron Corporation to resume pumping oil from its Venezuelan oil field after the President uh, Maduro's government and an opposition coalition agreement uh, to implement an, uh, an s. I guess, an estimated $3 billion humanitarian relief program and continued dialogue on efforts to hold free and fair elections. The new license granted by the Treasury Department permits Chevron to pump Venezuelan oil for the first time in years. And Bloomberg weighs in saying the sanctions relief comes after Norwegian mediators announced the restart of political talks between President Maduro and the opposition this weekend. The license should do little to alleviate an energy crisis that sparked inflation and slowed growth across the globe, but advances the political agenda with aim to set conditions for Venezuela's 2024 presidential elections. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break. We'll continue. To work our way through the
1: news. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, Jason Thompson with the Portland Fellowship. Well, CNN says daylight savings time is racist. Well, when everything is racist, nothing is racist. Well, a recent online article from CNN argued that daylight savings time disproportionately affects the sleep and health. Of minority communities, the piece published on Friday by CNN health reporter Jacqueline Howard argued that daylight savings time often disrupts sleep, throws off people's circadian rhythms, and can contribute to general health problems. And since people of color have a higher number of health problems, this means observing daylight saving time is more dangerous for us. Wow. Uh, Growing evidence shows that a lack of sleep and sleep disorders, such as obstructive sleep apnea, remain more prevalent in um, black, Asian, Hispanic and Latino communities. And these inequities can have long term detrimental implications for physical health, even raising the risk of certain chronic diseases. However, daylight savings time is not responsible for sleep apnea uh, and other sleep disorders. And for the general population who struggles, daylight saving time can be a challenge. Well, the U.S. bans the import and sale of certain Chinese tech, citing national security concerns. The Federal Communications Commission has banned the import and sale of certain Chinese technology equipment that it determined poses an unacceptable risk to national security. FCC Commissioner Brendan Kerr, he said in a statement that the commission's unanimous decision is the first time in the U.S. history that it's voted to prohibit the authorization of equipment based on national security concerns. Carr went on to say, today the FCC takes an unprecedented step to safeguard our networks and strengthen America's national security. Axios also weighs in, saying the ban is the latest escalation in U.S. policy toward China telecom equipment makers, which began during the Obama administration and accelerated during the Trump administration. Well, Disney's latest woke animation has failed at the box office. Strange World, an animated film featuring a gay teen romance, opened on Wednesday with a poor $4.2 million in ticket sales. It's projected to bring in as little as $21 million over what should be a strong holiday weekend. The film, which uh, pushes sexual orientation and climate agendas, is on track to be Disney's latest over Woke Nightmare. Bloomberg says the result put Strange World on an uphill climb to recoup its budget and marketing expenses. Disney animated films typically cost about one hundred and fifty million dollars to produce. Marketing can add tens of millions of dollars more. Chinese citizens are protesting covid lockdowns in China. Protests arose across China on Saturday in opposition to Chinese Communist Party leadership amidst the ongoing regime imposed covid-19 lockdowns. The most recent wave of unrest was triggered after an apartment fire at uh, the capital of a far western region of Xinjiang killed 10 people and injured nine others late, late uh, last week. The incident triggered public outrage as it was believed that the mobility restrictions in the area either trapped the residents inside or slowed the dispatch of emergency services. Ian Brimmer weighs in, suggesting that Chinese citizens in Shanghai shouting for freedom, first time she's ever encountered anything like this. We'll see where that goes. Elon Musk says he would support Ron DeSantis should he decide to run for president. Tesla and now Twitter CEO Elon Musk described what his preference is when it comes to the next president to run in 2024. In a tweet, Musk said that the next president needs to be sensible and centrist, Adding that he had higher hopes for the current administration, the multibillionaire then went on to say that he would support a 2024 presidential bid from Governor Ron DeSantis. And of course, that makes him even less popular with his uh, critics. Dr. Fauci says COVID investigations must not be politicized and defends China for covering up its origins. It's a little late to make the statement that the COVID investigation shouldn't be politicized. White House Chief Medical Advisor Anthony Fauci on Sunday lectured that officials must ensure that future probes into COVID-19 origins are not tainted with political motivation and animus. They should keep the politics out of those investigations, which seek to determine whether the virus emerged naturally from an animal wet market or escaped from the laboratory in China. RNC Research says that Anthony Fauci says it was Republicans who clearly politicized COVID. Fauci then claims he personally is not political at all and has never been. Well, End Wokeness reports that Fauci defends China for covering up COVID origins and blames Trump for it. I think politics have already been inserted into that debate. Well, the Border Patrol Council president has accused the Biden administration of lying about the border and legacy media for covering the White House. Uh, Covering for the White House, rather, National Border Patrol Council President Brandon Judd accused the White House of continuing to deflect and lie about the situation at the southern border on uh, Saturday. Judd accused the administration of trying to set a new normal regarding uh, illegal crossings and the smuggling of illegal drugs into the United States. Judd also claimed the media are covering for the White House by not investigating the administration's handling of the border. It is for them essentially a non-issue. Well, thanks to Alaska's adoption of the dubious ranked choice voting soon to come to a community near you, longtime incumbent Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski was able to hold on to her seat over conservative Republican challenger Kelly uh, Chewbacca. Uh, despite the fact that uh, she won the uh, most first-choice votes. Murkowski is not a conservative, as uh, demonstrated by her record of voting with Democrats over 60% of the time. Ranked-choice voting is uh, being pushed by leftist outfits uh, like Fair Vote, Uh, which bills itself as nonpartisan but in reality is a progressive group and such activists seek to undermine America's historical electoral system in favor of a system that has proven time and again to favor one party over the other. Ranked Choice is billed as a system that will prevent extremist candidates from winning elections, but in reality it's a system that thwarts challengers to establishment candidates. In Alaska's down-ballot race, a solidly red state turned a... definitive shade of purple as Democrats came away with gains that would not have been possible in the past, but for ranked choice voting. Another strategic blunder by Herschel Walker with a December 6th Senate runoff election looming in Georgia between Democrat incumbent Raphael Warnock and Republican Herschel Walker. Political blunders need to be avoided. Unfortunately, Walker just made another big one similar to that of Republican candidate Mehmet Oz in his failed Pennsylvania race. It's the carpetbagger label, which Oz was never able to escape. It turns out that Walker is receiving a primary resident tax break on his home in Dallas, Texas, back in 2021. Uh, Walker registered to vote in Georgia not long before launching his Senate bid in the Peach State. For decades prior, Walker lived in Texas and records records rather indicate that he took the principal residence tax break for his Texas home on his 2021 and 2022 tax returns, despite the fact that he had already launched his Senate bid in Georgia. And while it appears that legally speaking, Walker's Senate bid in Georgia is within bounds of the law. Politically speaking, this is another flaw that Warnock is sure to use to paint Walker as an outsider, despite Walker's storied history as Georgia's most famous running back. Home ownership is increasingly out of reach. Affordability challenges are a major reason why home sales as slowed, have slowed rather, so dramatically over the last few months, stated the real estate brokerage company Redfin in a recently released report. Thanks to sustained high inflation and the Federal Reserve's repeated interest rate hikes over this year, fewer Americans are able to afford purchasing a house. The median uh, annual household income requirement to afford doing so has risen one hundred and seven thousand two hundred and eighty one dollars up from seventy three thousand six hundred and sixty eight dollars just last year, an increase of almost 50 percent. However, despite the fact that home affordability has decreased, housing prices have remained relatively steady thanks to decreasing volume. Investment property sales have also slowed 30 percent from last year. Department of Homeland Security Secretary, excuse me, Alejandro Mayorkas says he's not going anywhere despite the fact that he may be challenged in the new Congress. Carrie Lake has sued Maricopa County over election day issues. She's not conceding defeat. The Georgia Supreme Court has sided with Raphael Warnock and Democrats in the early voting fight. And the Georgia Supreme Court reinstated their six-week abortion ban, according to the Washington Examiner. A non-citizen bill makes aliens and diplomats D.C. voters. And California Governor Newsom says he won't challenge President Biden. Fed officials see smaller rate hikes coming soon. Their meeting notes indicate these are the actual minutes and vaccinated Americans are the majority of covid deaths for the first time in August. Well, the rail strike looms and its impact on the U.S. economy could be broad. Congress is very likely to step in and Houston issued a boil water notice following power outages to water treatment plants in the city. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back to continue taking a look at some of the day's headlines.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: To The Georgine Rice Show. Well, on this day in history, 1520, Portuguese navigator Ferdinand Magellan reaches the Pacific Ocean after passing through the Southern American Strait that would bear his name. 1861, the Confederate Congress admits Missouri as the 12th state of the Confederacy after Missouri's uh, disputed secession from the Union. 1905, Sinn Féin is founded in Dublin. 1907, future movie producer Louis B. Mayer opens his first movie theater in Haverhill, Massachusetts. 1909, Sergei Rachmaninoff, Piano Concerto Number 3 in D minor, has its world premiere in New York with Rachmaninoff at the Piano. 1942 fire engulfs the coconut grove nightclub in boston killing 492 people in the deadliest nightclub blaze ever 1943 president franklin delano roosevelt british prime minister winston churchill and soviet leader joseph stalin they began conferring in tehran during world war ii 1961, Ernie Davis of Syracuse University becomes the first African-American to be named winner of the Heisman Trophy. 1964, the United States launches the space probe Mariner 4 on a course toward Mars, which it would fly past in July of 1965, sending back pictures of the red planet. 1975, President Ford nominates federal judge John Paul Stevens to the U.S. Supreme Court seat vacated by William O. Douglas. 1990, Margaret Thatcher resigns as British prime minister during an audience with Queen Elizabeth II, who then confers the, uh, uh, the premiership of John Major. 2001 Enron Corporation, once the world's largest energy trader, collapses after uh, would-be rescuer and in, uh, Incorporated backs out of an $8.4 billion takeover deal. Enron would file for bankruptcy protection four days later. And finally, on this day in history, 2017 Libyan militant Ahmed Abu Katatala is convicted in federal court in Washington of terrorism charges stemming from the 2012 Benghazi attacks that killed the U.S. ambassador and three other Americans, but the jury finds him not guilty of murder. Well, remember the um, raid on Mar-a-Lago? Well, there's something of an update. Heavily armed FBI agents, they showed up at Mar-a-Lago in the early hours of the morning. Dozens of them entered the residence, threw Trump's aides out of the room and searched every nook and cranny. They even went through Melania's closet. They were uh, looking for... Top secret documents. Well, in the weeks that followed, The Washington Post, The New York Times and other major media published one article after another, quoting unnamed sources at the Justice Department, the FBI and intelligence services on what they found. Trump had nuclear codes. Trump was going to give classified material to Putin. Trump was going to blackmail his political enemies. Trump took the documents to sell them on and on it went. Well, fast forward to November 14th. With virtually no fanfare and no apologies, the Washington Post did a follow up. Well, here's the key, uh, the key quote. The investigation has not found any apparent business advantage to the types of classified information in Trump's possession, nor any nefarious effort by Trump to leverage, sell or use the government secrets. In other words, never mind. Where, Where were the headlines on that? Well, the Washington State Building Code Council, an unelected board that governs construction standards on November 4th, decided to effectively ban natural gas heating in new construction homes and office buildings in the state of Washington. Well, advocates of the new restrictions admitted reluctantly that their new requirements will increase the cost of housing, but perhaps even more notable, is that the new rules will do nothing to advance the purported goal, namely reducing the state's carbon dioxide emissions. Well, the combination of artificially high cost and no benefit makes the new regulations a textbook example of how some politicians drive climate policy to appear like they are climate warriors. Well, the result is the worst of both worlds, higher housing and energy costs that will disproportionately affect lower income Americans, but with few, if any, environmental benefits. Well, the Building Code Council requested an independent cost benefit analysis from Pacific Northwest National Lab. The results showed a significant cost increased to require heat pumps for space heating. The lab estimated the requirements would add nearly $6,000 on average to the cost of new construction. For water heaters, using a heat pump rather than natural gas, it would add another 1500 So that's nearly uh, a little over $2,000, $2,100. Uh, Despite those estimates, the board went ahead with um, mandating the new requirements in the state of Washington. One of the board's justifications for ignoring those estimates was that banning natural gas heating would help the state reduce carbon dioxide emissions. One member claimed it's an exciting step forward toward meeting our goal to reduce greenhouse gases in our state. Unfortunately, the statement was False. Effective January 1st, Washington state will impose a carbon dioxide cap that strictly limits the use of natural gas and gasoline. The theoretical benefit of the statewide carbon dioxide cap is that it is um, neutral on how people and business owners reduce their emissions. Well, the Building Code Council's decision to ban natural gas heat pumps in new homes runs counter to that approach and adds nothing to total emissions reductions. The ban simply says that emissions reductions must occur in a particular and very expensive way. It does not, however, reduce carbon dioxide emissions in any more uh, than existing laws would. Even in states without a similar statewide carbon cap, banning natural gas home heating is an extremely expensive way to cut carbon dioxide. Several cities and states have considered similar policies. New York Governor Kathy Hochul has uh, proposed a statewide ban on natural gas hookups for new homes. California is looking to ban natural gas space and water heaters by 2030. Environmental groups have appealed to the Environmental Protection Agency to adopt those new rules nationally. In Washington state, where electricity rates are some of the lowest in the country, switching to electric heating costs about $80 to $100 per metric ton of carbon dioxide. That's far more than other available carbon dioxide reduction strategies that cost about $10 per metric ton and even more than the Biden administration's social cost of carbon. Well, advocates of the new rules um, frame the bans as an insurance policy to make sure the state meets its carbon dioxide reduction goals. Of course, any policy could be justified with such logic. It costs um, if cost is no object then any amount spent on insurance can be warranted. The decision to ban natural gas heating is emblematic of the state of climate policy in the United States. Policies are chosen based on the desire of politicians to appear righteous when addressing the climate crisis, in quotes. Whether those uh, policies actually reduce emissions is ancillary, and the price for those ineffective and purely symbolic policies is paid by everyone, whether or not they can actually afford it. Well, the U.S. is currently heading for a major national security train wreck. Bewildering environmental policies, energy plans detached from reality, and an incomprehensible practice of trusting China to provide critical components for both civilian and military technologies is an unsustainable trajectory. Stephen Bucci writes that the administration has rejected fossil fuels, driving us commercially and across the defense industry toward electric vehicles. The problem is China has a near monopoly on the mining and refinement of rare earth minerals such as lithium and cobalt that are used in EV batteries. China also monopolizes the production of those same batteries. In short, America is being forced to tie its future to EVs while having no capability to produce key elements of the system. Adding to the dilemma is that China is allowed to do all this um stuff while we d- won't do and... um And to do what we uh, refuse to. Well, the rub here is that China is not the client we can order about. It isn't even our friend. Well, today, China is taking advantage of current geopolitics to further entrench itself as the leading global producer of rare earth minerals. Critical minerals are already in short supply and heavily controlled by foreign powers. China dominates the global marketplace for rare earth metals through its control of both the production and processing, and they produce three-quarters of all lithium-ion batteries in the world with a single Chinese manufacturer – Cattle, or CATL, controlling 30% of the global EV battery market. China also refines 80% of the world's cobalt and 60% of the world's lithium, two critical minerals key for electric vehicles. Meanwhile, the United States refines 0% of the world's cobalt. As the White House report on building resilient supply chains, revitalizing American manufacturing, and fostering broad-based growth, dated June of 21, acknowledged By operating well outside globally accepted practices, China has been able to develop battery critical materials infrastructure well ahead of market drivers. China doesn't care a whit for the environment. The mess uh, it has at uh, at home and its uh, drive for control of its uh, uh, elements proves that that's the case. Well, the administration knows of the problem, acknowledging critical minerals as an important issue to address in one of the president's earliest executive orders, That order specifically identified the need for the United States to have resilient, diverse and secure supply chains to ensure our economic prosperity and national security. Unfortunately, the opposite has occurred. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. And we'll be back.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show coming up in the second hour. A conversation I had with Jason Thompson of the Portland Fellowship and a bit about Advent coming up in the second hour. Well, protests arose across China on Saturday in opposition to Chinese Communist Party leadership with the ongoing regime imposed COVID-19 lockdowns. The most recent wave of unrest was triggered after an apartment fire in one area, the capital of the far western region of Xinjiang, killing 10 people and injuring nine others late last week. The incident triggered public outrage as it was believed that the mobility restrictions in the area either trapped the residents or slowed the dispatch of emergency services. Officials there seem to take partially or rather partial responsibility for the tragedy on Friday and promise to restore order by slowly rolling back the COVID-19 rules. And multiple universities in Shanghai, Beijing and Nanjing, crowds of students con- congregated to remember the victims and denounce China's zero COVID-19 policy that seeks to snuff out spread of the virus entirely through strict control measures at a mass demonstration. In Shanghai, disgruntled citizens, they chanted against the president, President Xi Jinping, uh, and his rule, according to CNN. Uh, they urged him to step down, and Communist Party's step down uh, were heard as well. Some protesters uh, held up blank sheets of paper, symbols of for resistance against the Chinese government. Well, it was around five years ago when... Um, Douglas Andrews and his family stopped dragging the uh, the green rectangular bin of recyclables down the curb every week and stopped paying extra for the privilege of doing so. He makes the point that for years they would painstakingly recycled their papers, their plastics, glass and metals because they thought their behavior was, if only in some small way, good for the environment. Well, who knew it wasn't? Well, Greenpeace suggests, well, there's more to the story. John Tierney, for one, he knew back in 1996 that was the year that Tierney, who is a New York Times science reporter, wrote a landmark piece titled Recycling is Garbage, end quote. Well, lucky for all of us that the uh, that he didn't. Well, it wasn't widely read. Let's put it that way. Well, as he wrote at the time, believing that there was no more room in landfills, Americans concluded that recycling was their only option. Their intentions were good and their conclusions seemed plausible. Recycling does sometimes make sense for some materials in some places at some times. But the simplest and cheapest option is usually to bury garbage in an environmentally safe landfill. And since... There's no um, shortage of landfill space. There's no reason to make recycling a legal or moral imperative, he said at the time. That was 1996. Well, Tyranny spent three decades with the Times, but these days his work uh, is far more reputable organization, City Journal, where he's a contributing editor. Recently, he revisited the topic of recycling, specifically the Better Late Than Never Realization that a hard-left environmental activist group that recycling of plastics doesn't make sense. He's referring to Greenpeace. This has been obvious, and this is what he writes, this has been obvious for decades to anyone who crunched the numbers, but the fantasy of recycling plastics proved uh, irresistible to generations of environmentalists and politicians. They preached it to children, mandated it for adults, and bludgeoned, municipalities and virtue signaling corporations into wasting vast sums, probably hundreds of billions of dollars worldwide on an enterprise that has been harmful to the environment as well as to humanity. Now, Greenpeace has seen the light or at least a glimmer of rationality. The group has issued a report accompanied by a press release headlined plastic recycling is a dead end street. Now, this is Greenpeace. Year after year, plastic recycling declines, even as plastic waste increases. Well, the Greenpeace report goes on to list why plastic recycling has been such a miserable failure. Plastics are extremely difficult to collect. They're virtually impossible to sort. They're environmentally harmful to process. They're often made of and contaminated by toxic materials, and they're not economical to recycle. Replacing it is probably the best answer, but we're not there yet. So recycling plastics is inefficient, environmentally harmful and costly. And by costly, we mean that recycling a ton of plastic in New York City costs at least six times more than sending it to the landfill. But other than that, it's a swell ideal. Well, Greenpeace could have added a sixth reason, writes Tyranny, forcing people to sort and rinse their plastic garbage is a waste of everyone's time. But then making life more pleasant for humans has never been high on the green agenda. End quote. Well, still, the coming around of Greenpeace is good news, right? Well, yes and no, he goes on to suggest. That such an influential environmental organization has been mugged by recycling reality is indeed a welcome development, but Greenpeace still has a long way to go. As Tyranny notes, the group's overall policy remains delusional. The report proposes a far more harmful alternative to recycling, but it's nonetheless encouraging to see environmentalists put aside their obsession long enough to contemplate reality. End quote. Well, being on the left means never having to say you're sorry and true to form. Greenpeace is making no apologies for having helped impose such an onerous practice on the citizenry citizenry for all those many years. The group's new strategy, as Tyranny reports, is even worse. It proposes finally to end the age of plastics by phasing out single-use plastics through a global plastics treaty. Well, this scheme sounds like it uh, would be... Uh, Part of the great reset, and perhaps it will be, but it won't end well. We know this because a smaller scale plastic phase out has proven harmful to both people and the environment. The ban on single use plastic bags consider banning single use plastic grocery bags has added carbon to the atmosphere by forcing shoppers to use heavier Uh, paper bags and tote bags that require much more energy to manufacture and transport. The paper and cotton bags also take up more space in landfills and produce more greenhouse emissions as they decompose. The tote bags aren't reused nearly often enough to offset the initial carbon footprint and their breeding grounds for bacteria and viruses because they're rarely washed properly. Researchers have repeatedly found these bags to be responsible for gastrointestinal infections, but the warnings got little intention, little attention rather until the COVID pandemic suddenly revived respect for disposable products. Well, clearly, certain types of recycling are still very much worthwhile. Aluminum, for example, has uh, considerable mining and deforestation and manufacturing costs, and so it makes good sense, both environmentally and economically, to recycle it. Ultimately, though, it seems to us that recycling question comes back to what the great uh, Thomas Sowell has called the... um Conservative premise. Man is flawed from day one, he said, and there are no solutions, only trade offs. And whatever you do to deal with one of man's flaws, it creates another problem. But you try to get the best trade off you can get, and that's all you can hope for. Well, that seems pretty reasonable in the 21st century. Where plastics are concerned, though, the consensus seems clear to the landfill it goes. But don't expect that will be the case anytime soon. Well, for nearly a century, the Internal Revenue Service has been used by presidents and members of Congress to harass and um, incriminate political foals. In addition to collecting revenue to fund the government, the IRS is a hit squad that destroys reputations and criminalizes dissenters. A lot of pain can be inflicted under the guise of a tax audit. Now... The Democrats are further um, weaponizing the already abusive IRS. In August, the president, as you might recall, signed into law an erroneously labeled Inflation Reduction Act, which will lead to more audits and investigations. The act's roughly doubles funding for the IRS Enforcement Division, adding an estimated 49,600 agents who will all need something to do, along with auditors, making the agency three quarters the size of the U.S. Marine Corps. The public should be frightened. Overall, the agency plans to hire a total of 87,000 new employees over the next decade. An estimated 50,000 agents are predicted to uh, retire during that time. Meanwhile, the president is um, staving uh, rather starving. The Defense Department requests uh, too little funding to even keep up with inflation despite Russia and the Chinese aggression. Well, who's Biden waging war against? Well, it's true. The IRS needs funding to improve services to taxpayers, including getting phone calls answered and returns processed. It also needs to um, uh, to move from antiquated paper files to modern technology. The bill allocates a, a minuscule amount for those priorities and puts the lion's share of the forty five billion dollars into enforcement, including hiring and arming agents. Well, as much as 90% of the funds raised through the beefed-up audits will come from people making less than $200,000 a year, according to the Bipartisan Joint Committee on Taxation. Audits can bring a tsunami of government document demands and repeated visits from IRS agents over the months and even years. And with so many new agents adding to existing agents, this could mean, well, trouble for taxpayers. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour and in the second hour a conversation I had with Jason Thompson of Portland Fellowship and we'll take a um, thought on Advent and wintering so stay with us news and traffic up next.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. There's a short list of people that I would put on my most favored list, and among them is Jason Thompson. He's Executive Director of Portland Fellowship. And it's been a while since I've had you here, Jason, and I just wanted to uh, invite you in to kind of catch up and introduce Portland Fellowship to folks who may not be familiar with the ministry. First of all, Welcome.
3: Yeah, thank you so much, Georgie, it's always, always a pleasure to be with you.
2: Oh, thank you. Uh, well, Jason, let me invite you to introduce newcomers to Portland Fellowship.
3: Yeah, we used to call ourselves the church's best kept secret. I don't know if that's a proud statement, but the reality is I'm that I'm hoping it's,
2: it's less true yeah, now. Exactly. Than it was then.
3: Over the years, right? We uh, we are a ministry that serves men and women who are struggling with unwanted same sex attraction and gender confusion. And, uh, it's very important to add that word unwanted because in this world where it's highly controversial, this issue, very personal, um, it can seem like we're, we're doing ministry to people who are not wanting it. And so to make it very clear that we minister to those who already have a conflict between their sexuality and their faith, the Lord is already doing a work of conviction and leading and we come alongside and support, encourage and do discipleship. So that's our primary focus as well as ministering to, men, uh, to, to mothers, fathers, family members who have loved ones who have embraced a gay identity, have no interest in what Portland Fellowship offers, and that is to walk in a transformational process. And so the question for, for the family and friends, our HOPE group is what we call it, is how do we love those who are in our life without compromising our biblical integrity and convictions. And that is a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. So it's an amazing place for family and friends friends to come together and care for one another, encourage one another, offer tips and potentially advice. But but really, it's about taking an honest look at, at the family unit, their own life and the way they interact and just begin to d- deepen their trust in God as they love those who are lost and confused.
2: Yeah, love them well. You yeah. used a phrase a moment ago, transformational process. Mm. It's not an event. This is a process. Yeah. Now, I, I'm i a sinner. There are areas that I struggle in, and God is so gracious to work me through toward toward holiness. You know, I, I'm not going to reach perfection in this life, but talk a little bit about what you mean by that yeah. in a culture that says, first of all, it's not, um, it's not, Uh, possible and it's not something you ought to pursue
3: yeah the culture is is very loud on that in fact uh, just the very nature of what we do is such an offense to our culture today Um, and yet i think there's a misunderstanding and and exactly what you're saying is it is a process of recognizing who uh, people are in christ recognizing the brokenness that has led to the counterfeit desires and again, all these words are, are an offense to the culture, but it's it's true in the sense of God designed us to live a life that's uh, that, that He planned for male and for female, not necessarily for marriage or having a sexual a union with the same, but growing and maturing in who we are as men and women. And so that is our process, is recognizing where did something go off track, where did a a need or a wound, begin to form and shape someone in a way that was not God's original intent, and then lead them toward God's original intent using the Word of God, uh, the the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the encouragement from the body of Christ. This is all a process. Another assumption is that it's kind of like a light switch where we pray away the gay. We say a good prayer over them, we flip the switch, and then they go from gay to straight. (laughs) And it's like... That has to be completely dismantled because of what you said, Georgine. Is that in all of our lives, no matter what we struggle with, there is a process. We we see this with just children. Mm -hmm. You don't expect a five-year-old child to, in a prayer or two (laughs) or or an event, to become a mature adult ready to get married and have kids. That's ridiculous. We would never assume that. Well, it's the same thing. There's a sense of relational brokenness, wounds, and a need to grow into the man or the woman that God designed. And so that takes a lot of patience, kindness, instruction, encouragement, humility on our part as leaders. Um, Not saying, look at me, this is how it's done, follow me, but rather constantly pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ and let him do the work of transforming hearts and minds, renewing um, the the minds that have been led astray. And as we were saying just briefly earlier is that the – the culture has, has completely confused us, so the battle is great, not mm-hmm. only internal struggles that one has to deal with, but the constant pressure from the world that says that type of work, that what we call conversion therapy or, or uh, manipulation of people, um, they have to wrestle through that, they have to wrestle through the church's silence on this issue, and really be listening to what God calls them to walk in this wholeness and this healing that, that is possible with God.
2: I know that uh, we talked about the culture within the church. We would all agree that that God has by his Holy Spirit and through the work that he does in and through us, he transforms us. But there has been an exception carved out in which this particular area, um, God is powerless. Can you address that? Because even within the church, this has become controversial despite the scriptures clear teaching about how God has power over the flesh and to transform us, yeah. uh, and to complete the work He began in us.
3: I'm, I'm absolutely dumbfounded by that, and it's actually truly saddening to see many—not all the church—I don't throw the church under the bus—but there are so many within the church that begin to hear this message of this is the best it gets. There's a whole whole group of individuals that would say, "Yeah, God didn't uh, permit homosexual behavior, but." You were born this way and this is your label, if you will. You're a, you're a celibate gay Christian. That's who you are. Now you have to be obedient to it. And I applaud the obedience, mm-hmm. but it's almost as though there's a whitewashed tomb mindset or we believe in his, his, his work on the cross, but we deny his power to transform lives. And that's saddening to hear because I truly believe God wants us to move toward his original intent. The, 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 again, the, the thing people automatically think of is, well, then, are you talking about perfection or or never having a struggle again or 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 going from gay to straight? None of that is communicated in saying moving toward mm-hmm. his original intent. Scripture says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Why in the world would Scripture say be perfect when there's no way we're going to ever be perfect this side of heaven? Because that's what we move toward. And so when we lose the power of, of God's transforming message and, and his ability, and we know God is able, we say this all the time, he's able. We see this with testimonies galore, people who were once wife beaters who are now free from that anger. People who were alcoholics who once had, can now lay that down and live a sober life, a pleasing to the Lord. But you're right, Georgine. There's there's something about the homosexual, transgender, gender identity issues that says, well, well, God can't do that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that one, he's powerful, but not that quite powerful. And that that's sad to know and to hear. And I think is a huge obstacle for the body of Christ to come to a ministry like Portland Fellowship to walk in that wholeness and that healing.
2: Yeah, it sort of deprives an individual of the freedom that God intends. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's sad to me because it, it is um, a deprivation of that, yeah. that freedom that God's God Yeah, and, and,
3: and, I, and I would not be st- sitting here talking to you in the your audience to say this is ethereal. I read this in some textbook. Uh, I just kind of sort of believe it. Those, those people need to, to walk through this process. This is my story. I was deeply confused uh, about my masculinity and my attractions and affections toward the same sex, which I call very clearly a counterfeit to what the real need was. My real need to bond with the same gender, with God the Father first, with my own father, grow in my own masculinity. And so all these things were derailing that process, and God got a hold of me. And through the ministry of Portland Fellowship that I now direct and serve at, He walked me through this process and it was not an overnight process. Mm -hmm. It was a process of continuously feasting at his table, confessing my sins to one another, walking in this process of renewing my mind and heart, being involved in the local church to build me up setbacks as well as victories. But the bottom line was my heart and my mind were always toward what he has intended, no matter my setbacks and victories it's going forward. And because of that, I can say with complete integrity that God has transformed my heart and my mind. I don't crave the counterfeit, the desire to have another man fill a void in my life or a need. But through this process of healing, there's a wholeness that's taken place that then allowed me to have amazing blessings, which I could share about those amazing blessings that I would never have imagined when I was 16 years old.
2: What you've described is... Really, the walk of every serious believer. You may fill yeah. in the blanks with different kinds of sin. We all live in the flesh, and we all struggle with our sin nature, but what you've described is what God intends for every believer without exception.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the other sticking point is, no matter what your struggle is, if the goal and the outcome is to just be free from alcohol, or be an abusive husband, or or pornography, or homosexuality, we're on the wrong track. Mm -hmm. We're on the wrong track, because the the track, or the hope and the goal is to find our favor and love in the power of Jesus Christ and what he wants to do. In other words, if those temptations and struggles continue as you're going through this, so be it, because God will sustain you through it. Because the goal is not becoming from gay to straight, the goal is becoming broken to whole. And so it's like the The idea that he can rescue us in the fiery pit, but even if he doesn't, Scripture Mm -hmm. says. In other words, sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. And so if our goal is on the outcome of freedom, we're on the wrong path. Our goal needs to be on Jesus who does that freedom, and then whatever he wants to do, you will not be disappointed. Whatever that may be, you will not be disappointed.
2: Amen we're talking with Jason Thompson he is the executive director of Portland Fellowship we'll continue our conversation in just a few moments so stay with us
1: you're listening to the
2: Georgine Rice show
1: you're listening to the Georgine Rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ
2: hey welcome back you're listening to the Georgine Rice show i'm continuing my conversation with the executive director of Portland Fellowship and if you're unfamiliar with the ministry let me encourage you to check it out they're doing some significant ministry in our community and are affiliated with similar organizations across the country who are doing great work. Anyway, Jason Thompson is executive director, and it's always a, a pleasure to have you with us. Now, yeah. COVID, uh, the COVID years, as I've come yeah. to refer to them, <laughs> impacted every ministry, every walk of life. How, is, how has that impacted Portland Fellowship and the work that you do? Because it's very relational.
3: Yeah, we have we have gone for years doing a basic program uh, in-house Uh, discipleship programs and, and support programs. When COVID came along, of course, it shut everybody down for us for a moment. So we had to quickly do what a lot of people do and go, Oh, what's this Zoom thing? (laughs) Let's do this (laughs) Zoom thing. Well, once we started the Zoom thing, we realized. The word got out that people that were not in our local area were wanting exactly what the discipleship program offered. So we started to get calls and connection from all over the country, even outside the country, wanting to join us at Pacific time, which is 7 p.m., which means sometimes it was 1 (laughs) a.m. their Mm -hmm. time. But these were people desperate for community and connection and encouragement. So what happened with COVID, as you asked, is it broadened our ministry. It expanded it. I think it's fascinating. It's like the early church when the persecution was happening. It didn't kill the church; it expanded it. So, so not for a second when I say thank you, Lord, for COVID, but, but thank you for what you did because of COVID. So, we actually have expanded our ministry uh, beyond the local area of Portland. Uh, I like to say, uh, you know, Zoom is a is a great provision for information, connection, prayer. Hearing one another's hearts, it never will um, trump the real-life in-house mm-hmm. relationship and the, the the praying the hands-on, the prayer in the same room. But what amazing provision God has offered for people out in the middle of nowhere with v- no resources but maybe a book or a blog that they can read. Here we have a chance to connect. So we do. Every week we have a Zoom call. I run the Zoom programs. I actually love them. Most people I work with that serve help serve me hate Zoom, so they want nothing to do with it. God has somehow given me this 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 passion to want to sit on a screen and and meet people from around the country I would never have met before in my life. And it is powerful. You would think those little Zoom calls would be like a little bit awkward and in flat but it's really a chance for for god to work in each of those persons life to be honest and vulnerable about failures and victories we can pray for them encourage them in the faith and so i've been very excited by what by covid and what or at least what it did uh to advance the ministry
2: well and just like the scripture says in romans god is working all things together for the exactly. good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose so he uh he doesn't invoke covid but he uses every negative uh, circumstance to advance his kingdom yep. and to strengthen his w- people what the
3: enemy intended for yes. harm god used absolutely. for absolutely i
2: should mention that portland fellowship and you in particular are highly respected around the country and around the globe for the work that you have done. Some of the programs that you have written that have extended beyond the Portland metro area have have really had an impact in the kingdom of God. And I want to commend you for Mm -hmm. that. In fact, I um, had the opportunity to MC once again this year at the restored hope networks hope 2022 2022 conference in June. And um, you received the best new healing resources um, for hope group, the online program. And that's a national award. You were recognized for that because it's having such an impact here at home and certainly abroad. And you've been innovative in developing curricula for the breaking ground and and different ministries that are really impacting, not just here in Portland, which was would be significant enough, but in places beyond um, our borders and uh, in other parts of the world as well. So I just want to commend you for Mm, your faithfulness, your innovations, your, your um, focusing all of your uh, considerable talent for the ministry that is reaching people all over the globe. And I think, uh, people here in Portland should be aware of the significance of this ministry and the, your role in it
3: oh thank you so much it actually was a lot of fun i i 've worked there now for oh, thirty years been there for thirty three years and each year it 's like lord, I need some 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 new exciting project or an opportunity to minister in a different way, never losing the core message it 's never changed mm-hmm. not one iota we 're very actually very simple in our message it, it's it's it 's just a two two sentence byline really. But the way we carry that out has grown, has advanced, and uh, I just am grateful to the Lord for the people that come around to help doing the editing and the filming and all these things that have allowed us to, re- frankly, reach the world.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, to develop a resource that's, um, again, innovative. It's uh, uh what's the word i'm i'm looking for it's relevant and people are really being ministered to we'll talk a little bit about the hope group online who is it for and what what takes place in these connections yeah we,
3: we did have hope group online we just recently changed it to pfhope.com so that's and it's all found at portlandfellowship.com mm-hmm. if people get lost because what we were initially doing was having a video track for family and friends again as i mentioned earlier how do you love well without compromising that's a tremendously difficult process um and so we have a track for that another ministry came alongside us and did a track for transgender uh, understanding and then we created one for the summer called the journey and that wasn't is less about family and friends and more for people who are, who are just getting their feet wet with this and wanting to know do i want to commit to a two year process mm-hmm. which is our taking background program and so it's a an eight week video series about 10 minute little video clips with a with some questions and a handout and we spent once a week for an hour and a half working through and it's a really a parallel between the process of the Israelites coming out of bondage in Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land then we made the equate equated that to bondage in your sin trusting God in the wilderness and what is this promised land ultimately that's mm-hmm. our Lord Jesus Christ and yet we get we get shadows of that in this world about freedom and walking in his kingdom. So it was really quite a a fun thing to meet new people, come on in and work through some stuff that was actually pretty challenging for people, But uh, because we're looking at Old Testament and how God responded to the people, and so how that it correlates to to now uh, was a challenge, but a wonderful one. So that's on our site as well, and that's our hope, is to continue to create little tracks for maybe pastors, Wives that have loved their husbands who are, who are struggling with this, and wives go through a whole different ball game of just of, of feeling betrayed and how to respond and and uh, how to love the husband well. So we're, we're hoping to put things like that together in the years to come. i got a few more years left in me, so I figure we'll <laughs> I do a so. few more to go. <laughs>
2: You're still a young man. <laughs> I
3: feel old, but yes, I can. How,
2: how is the church connecting with Portland Fellowship? And I'm thinking more of the local church. I know there are churches elsewhere, but um, is the church connecting with and taking full advantage of the tremendous resource that you have to offer?
3: I, I, I truly want to stay just really positive as a Christian should. It's like, yes, the church blesses <laughs> us and joins us. Sadly, there's and, and I don't totally fault a church for this, maybe I should, but I don't <laughs> fault that there is this is so controversial. And that if you speak in terms of redemption and transformation, you could talk about it in the light of sin, but we have to unpack that. You can't just say it's sin. You gotta explain why, what God's original intent is, what his purpose is, and anything outside of that is contrary to God's will, and so it's sin. So when a church is wanting to focus on bringing new people in and discipling the, the, the people of God, and then you bring in this topic that already is just a, a hot button for people, it it, it it can cause pastors and leaders to say, let's, let's not go there. Mm. Let's just not go there. And this
2: is despite the fact that there may be congregants. Yeah, who are struggling with these issues. Yeah, just an aside.
3: struggling, but also congregants that are uh, have loved ones who are gay and they love their gay loved one and yeah. don't think they need to change. And then it's all of a sudden you got you got fists bumping and figuring mm-hmm. out. So there, what really needs to happen is talk about God's purpose and plan to share with the people of God using God's word. It's got to be done with grace and truth always. And I think the church has erred on the side of truth to where now it's like, well, wait a minute, let's just not talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. And conversely, there's a lot of churches, and this this grieves my heart more than any of it, more than the silence, is churches that are extending this this kind of artificial grace or this greasy grace, some people would call it, mm-hmm. where it's like, God's, God loves you. End of story, period. No matter where you're at, he loves you. No more to the discussion you're gay he lo- he loves you and i'm like he loves you enough not to leave you in your brokenness is what needs to be added to that conversation. And
2: that's the story of every believer. Exactly. Um, why would he leave one particular group and, and you know make, again, the exception? Exactly. I don't
3: see that in we, we cannot separate. Now, there are nuances with same-sex attraction that need to be identified. That's different than maybe somebody with anger issues. There are. There, there are things going on. There are certain wounds that are different, ways mm-hmm. you perceive yourself about your gender, that a typical guy dealing with pornography isn't necessarily dealing with those things. So it's okay to parcel them out and work through those things. But at the bottom line, we all fall short of the glory of God. And the answer is always the same, and that's our Lord Jesus. Yeah. Now, how we how we walk that journey out it's going to be a little different here and there. But the answer is always the same.
2: Always the same. Yeah. We're talking with Jason Thompson. He's the executive director of Portland Fellowship. Quick break, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm talking with Jason Thompson. He is the executive director of Portland Fellowship. It's a tremendous ministry in our community, but its reach extends far beyond the Portland metro area, the state of Oregon. All around the world with some of the uh, amazing ministry tools that they have developed. By the way, if you'd like to learn more, you can go to their website at PortlandFellowship.com. We've been talking about a number of things. The journey, we've been talking about taking background in other uh, programs that you have. And if you are a, a church leader and you would like to learn more, how do I speak to a congregation in a way that is consistent with a biblical worldview, that is spoken in grace and puts it in perspective that is is uh, that reflects God's heart? Portland Fellowship can help you do that, and I am so appreciative of the work that you do and how you address the issue um, that is uh, that does reflect the Father's heart, uh, but at the same time gives us the opportunity to to seek freedom uh, through the work of uh, His Holy it's Spirit. It's been such
3: a joy to have you as a, a friend of the ministry for uh, frankly as long as I remember being there. I've been a long time, so but also a personal friend. So thank you for standing alongside, even with such pressure that exists out there. Mm. But to hold to God's truth in Him, we're gonna we're gonna be fine. <laughs> it's yeah. like to hold to His truth.
2: Yeah, and I, you know, I've had the opportunity at Portland Fellowship events and Restored mm-hmm. Hope Network events to hear the amazing testimonies of God's grace and the work in the lives of individuals, whether they were um, same sex attracted or they were uh, transgender uh, at some point. It's amazing to hear what God is doing mm-hmm. and. Uh, sadly, and I think this is the enemy's primary goal, is to silence those voices so we don't hear them and have any hope at all. Um, But I I, I just am grateful because I've seen what God is doing, so you can't help but press ahead once you...
3: Absolutely. I could not be here after 30 years, are you kidding me, (laughs) without seeing not only in my own life, but the men and women who come through this process and see victory after victory. Again, you have to see this in a maturation process, a slow, transforming, sanctifying work but each step of the way, there's, there's those moments to celebrate God doing a deeper work in each mm-hmm. person's life. And that, that's the joy that keeps me going on. It's, it's not the curriculum or the resources. Those are fun to do. But it's seeing God at work in his people
2: absolutely and that ought to be the joy of the whole church that's, know, right. That's, right. That, uh, that's right seeing that uh seeing that he's keeping his promises now what can we do as the general public as the the church of jesus christ what can we do to support you to encourage the work to come alongside even if we're not uh directly tied to this issue how can we encourage you in this ministry
3: yeah i mean obviously the, the golden parachute answer if you will is to pray uh the 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 attack is is so great at times the spiritual warfare is tough at times I'm, I'm i'm sharing right now with you with a lot of glee and happiness and joy but if you take me to those moments where it's like the mm-hmm. pressure and the insults and and uh, the controversy that and even some of my own vulnerabilities and 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 moments where it's like not leading perfectly at times it's all those things can be a pressure so just asking the body of christ to pray for portland fellowship um We know that no matter what, that with that, God is going to do miraculous things. Um, To also hear this message, a simple message that I'm sharing today is that – is recognizing that homosexuality is not a fixed state. It's not a genetic inborn state. But most importantly, there's hope and freedom for those who are struggling with this issue – and for those who aren't struggling, who are embracing it, I've heard over and over again. This is what's in a fascinating story that I hear throughout ministry: is that people who are who are pro gay, they're they're Christian, gay Christian or whatever, pro gay, and they are um, maybe even advocates to the gay community. They come to me. And this isn't a ton of stories, but enough for me to go. This is fascinating. They know every day they're not. This is not true. That this is not right. They know in the in the heart of hearts that the, that still small voice of the spirit of God convicting. And so to pray for those people who seem lost and deceived and angry and bitter and hurt. I pray for those because I've seen it. or people I, just recently a story like that where it's like I'm done fighting it. I want to return to the Lord and trust mm. Him with my sexuality. And so uh, one of the grievous areas of my ministry is watching people who I've served alongside who buy into the lie again, who fall into the trap, who indulge the flesh, flesh, and uh, and my prayer for them is they'd return, that God is gracious. He stands at the door and knocks and says, please let me in. I want to be part of your your life and, and welcome you into wholeness and healing. That's found in me, and so pray, pray, pray. Obviously, the support of the ministry—you uh, know, I—I I don't emphasize sp- financial support, but obviously, that's part of the, the the journey. But God has always been faithful through donors. We have a small donor base. You want to be part of our our family? <laughs> it's not a huge family. Uh, we'd love to have you a part of that. Um, so, coming alongside, sharing the message of transformation and wholeness, going to your pastor and letting them know to not be shy about this, but but to do it in a way that's filled. With love and grace. That's how. That's how Jesus did. He first met mm-hmm. people where they're at. He listened well. He offered up grace, whether it's giving some water or healing, whatever. And then he gave truth and instruction. That's kind of the format. And we need to do the same thing. Don't dive in there with the truth. You know, sin is wrong, <laughs> or gay is wrong. Uh, so, uh, to really enter into the relationship in a way that 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 fosters. A, the love of Christ for them and brings them through a journey of wholeness and healing one day.
2: Mm, and that's that's entirely possible because um, while my set of sins might be different, that's how God ministered to that's my heart. Right. That's how I came to know him. And I, I,
3: lo- I love that about each time you're saying this because it's absolutely true. It's not a unique story. Mm-hmm. We're all fallen. And so, yeah, the nuance is different, but Yeah. We can plug our own sin. My wife is actually helping out in the Taking Back Ground program. For, she hasn't done that for years, and she doesn't struggle with this issue. But but the ladies really identify with her because she can enter into this and say, these are my issues and my struggles. I'm no different. And there's a commonality and yes. un- understanding and even a measure of normalcy, not in a, an affirmation way, but in a way that says we all fall short. And we're all in this together. Yeah,
2: it's as if that's where, I don't know, in the Bible.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: somewhere I think of a exactly. <laughs> now let me um, ask you to, to speak for just a moment to family members and friends who are concerned about a loved one. Uh, the relationship may be um, intact. It may be non-existent. Maybe there are bridges that have already been burned, but they desperately love and mm. long to have relationship with their loved ones who have walked away in, into a lifestyle that is... Uh, inconsistent with their their Christian worldview. Uh, by way of encouragement, what can you say to those who want to perhaps go through a program that can help them understand yeah. and then to relate in a way uh, that extends that grace and love without compromise? Yeah,
3: quickly, the first two things you said are reiterate, and that is to keep loving, loving well. And love as Christ does. Love does not mean affirmation and endorsement of sin. That's the a confusion I think people are wrestling with, that I have to somehow accept this, to be loving. No, no, love is is hard. But uh, keep loving, keep praying for the, your loved one. Recognizing the story's not over yet, and God has more resources than you can possibly imagine to to reach your loved one. As far as you personally walking through this, there's there's lots of good books on it. I love Joe Dallas's books on oh, this issue. Yes. He's one of my favorite. He is my favorite. Yeah, author. mine too. Cy Rogers, the late Cy Rogers, has amazing stuff too. We personally have a program we put together. It's called the uh, Hope Group online. Uh, it's a video series, and we actually offer it on Zoom. We're just finishing up for this year, but we'll probably re- start it up again so we can get parents together, watch the videos together, and process the material together. I, I like to to be honest and upfront. It's a little bit of a bait and switch. Parents come in because their son is gay or daughter is gay, and they want to know how to fix them. And when they come in, we're like, let's take a look at your own heart first. Mm. Let's take a look at your walk with the Lord I know that's not what you signed up for, but let's do this and see how what God does in you can then overflow to your loved one, whether it's communication, your heart, your love for them, your love for the Lord. And so, uh, it's that can be the challenge. Like, pause. We're not going to talk about your son for a moment. Uh, So, I don't want to scare scare any parents away. I think it's a wonderful journey of of allowing God. It's the idea of search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know me, and then allow and then fill me. And, and ultimately, my hope is that the overflow of what God fills you with is what your loved ones might experience and see in their life. And, and it's an encouragement place as well, just to know that we can't fix our loved ones. We need to put them in the hands of the one who can, our, our Lord Jesus. And so it's really a great encouragement uh, to, to um, do that with one another in a place where we're not going to be shaming, not going to be ridiculing. There's a lot of patience and grace for mistakes. Um, but a beautiful community of of growing together.
2: Amen. Well, again, Jason Thompson is the executive director of Portland Fellowship. You can check them out online at portlandfellowship dot com, and is calling a good way to connect as well. Yeah,
3: uh, yeah, calling. Um, you know, uh, email is is easy to. Um, the website is a great place to just get the big picture Mm -hmm. if anybody has any questions. I encourage anyone to call with the toughest questions you have. It doesn't mean I'm going to have the answer for it because I'm not the know-it-all, but I love it when people call and say, I want to know what you really believe here because there's so many different voices. I personally wouldn't trust someone just because they have a Christian Mm -hmm. and a homosexual attached label on their ministry. I don't. In fact, I'm leery of some of them. And so if... If you're leery at all of, of Portland Fellowship, or you're just uncertain about things, we welcome the call, a coffee appointment. I mean, I get to work there full-time. The God has given me the, the opportunity to work there full-time, so that's what I get to do, is sit with parents, have coffee, go to lunch, come to my office, and ask the tough stuff, and let's wrestle through this together.
2: Amen. Portlandfellowship.com, the telephone number, 503-235-6364, and I'll make sure to put the uh Email address on the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page or kpdq.com uh, this afternoon as well. Jason, thank mm. you for your faithfulness. Thank, thank you. you so much for your team that works alongside you. They do great work, and I'm grateful that God has put you right here in the Portland metro area to do the ministry that's touching the world.
3: Awesome. Thank you, Georgine. Thank
1: you.
2: We need to take a quick break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in mere
1: moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey,
2: welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. As we are officially in Advent or the run up to Christmas, I wanted to share with you over these next few weeks from Hannah Anderson's, um, 25 Advent reflections. We won't cover all of them, but Heaven and Nature Sing. It's published by Broadman and, um, Holman and is uh, really an excellent, resource for this season. So I wanted to share from that. Well, here where I live in the mountains of Southwest Virginia, she writes, December marks the beginning of winter. Night gathers quickly with a deep darkness settled in by the time we settle around the table. The ground that only a few months earlier burst with life lies dormant under the chill that never seems to lift. From the warmth of my kitchen, I look out the window to see my once lush garden encrusted with ice full of thick, heavy clods of earth and littered with the remnants of corn stalks and pumpkin vines that twist up among the table scraps. The red raspberry cane and uh, stand bare, initiating dead sticks, quiet believably. The strawberry plot has been rifled for the last bits of fruit, and all that remains are dark, decaying leaves. The herbs have been cut back to their slumbering roots, and on particularly cold mornings, the asparagus I left to bolt is encased in frost, its fern-like leaves crystallized so that each segment is clearly visible. Closer to the house, ornamental beds of lily, hosta, and peonies hide their delicate parts deep within the earth. The grapevine that climbed the arbor in summer and whose clusters hung over us while we ate and drank in the sun is bare, stripped and cut back, in expectation of next season. The peach trees raise bony limbs against the perpetual gray sky, and across the way the fields lay in patchwork browns, punctuated occasionally by tussocks of rusty broom sedge. I can see straight through the thickest uh, thicket of the trees now. Their naked trunks and leaflets, branches, and our thin wisps of hair on an aged branch. In December, it's hard to believe that the earth ever brought forth life or that it ever will again. But winter also brings the holidays, and so we do our best to be merry despite the landscape around us. We wrap bare limbs and sleeping bushes, in brightly colored lights, the miracle of electricity compensating for their previous buds and blooms. We stoke fires to make up for the sun's absence and fuel them with seasoned woods, disproportionately pleased by our ability to salvage light and heat from death. The wintering birds will get an extra helping of seed, and eventually we'll cut a tree and drag it into the front room. We'll scour the woods for bits of green, Virginia pine, holly, eastern hemlock, and if we're lucky, mistletoe, and drape them along the mantle, sills, doorways, and banisters. I wonder, though, if we really scouring for hope, searching for those small, steady promises that reassure us that the gathering night and the present interlude is only temporary. I wonder if like the earth itself, we're waiting, holding our breath in anticipation, longing to believe that something more is happening, that something more is coming. I wonder if we're all just waiting for God to show up. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul writes that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us, that no matter what we're currently going through, no matter the heartbreaks, no matter the confusion, no matter the grief or loss, God's goodness and glory await us, that deep under the surface, out of sight, he is at work, that he always has been, he always will be. To prove this, Paul turns our attention to the natural world. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. It's a strange thing to think of the earth this way, as having a will or having to wait or even having the ability to hope for redemption. Even stranger that the earth would be our partner in hope, longing for freedom and life and glory as much as we do. But when I look out my window in December, when I see how much the world around me has changed in only a few weeks, when I see its lifeless stillness, I believe it. And when I remember that Genesis tells me that I was made from the same ice-encrusted earth, that a curse of futility hangs over us both, that from dust we were taken and to dust you will return, I know... I know it in my bones. Yes, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth shows forth his handiwork, just as Psalm 19 says they do. And yes, when I gazed into the inky blackness of a December night and see a thousand points of light, I can almost hear a chorus of praise. But when I see a mountaintop cut bare for minerals and beneath, or I remember the whirlwinds that level neighborhoods, or I watch on the news as fires consume home and forest alike— I hear something else. I hear a groaning that mirrors my own. I hear a longing and a pain that cries out for redemption. And I find in nature an unexpected ally in the work of hope. So in this season, as we celebrate the creator who took on flesh and came to his creation, we do so in solidarity with an entire cosmos here in these moments of Advent and nativity, heaven and nature sing, teaching a truth that we cannot know without the witness of both. It's a story of bodies and skies and beasts and trees all waiting for the glory that will be revealed when the Son of God comes to His own. It is a story of longing and incarnation, of the earth receiving a flesh and blood Redeemer, first as a baby and one day forever as its King. I want to invite you into this story afresh, to consider the Christmas narrative from a slightly different perspective, to think of all the ways Jesus' coming changed and will change the world. To truly believe that in response to the Savior's reign, fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. For as much as we are part of this same creation made from the very ground that lies beneath our feet, it is our story as well. So that even as our mortal bodies waste away and the ground continues to groan, we take hope. The one who loved the world came to it, and from this love he will redeem it until both the earth and those made from it slip from the bondage of decay to eternal glory, until the children of God are revealed. Because just as Jesus came to this world through birth, the scripture promises that we enter the heavenly kingdom through rebirth, and that one day the earth itself will give birth, not just to another season, but to our resurrected bodies. And now we know why heaven and nature sing. Now you know why those of us who dwell in the dust must awake and sing along with them, why a chorus of joy to the world is on our lips. Here in this season, with its quiet, pervasive witness to both life and death, when we're most fully aware of the darkness, can we become more fully aware of the light? Here our cries for deliverance become songs of praise. And here, between what is and what will be, I am most convinced of the glory that must come. Because here, where Advent turns to nativity, creation itself teaches us to hope in our creator, infant king. Again, uh, excerpt from Hannah Anderson's Heaven and Nature Sing, uh, Advent Reflections to Bring Joy to the World. We'll be sharing um uh, bits and pieces of this leading up to the Christmas holiday. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We are out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Maupin for engineering, and thank you for making
1: the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great evening. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at KPDQ.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show. And like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for Critical Times on 93.9
0: KPDQ.